Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning. And good morning to those of you who are uh, joining us online today. It's so good to have you, and good to see faces. Wow. Uh, thank you for finally, after two years, brushing your teeth. It's nice that you, uh, you had that courtesy for everybody else who was here. Um, I know I did, uh, finally, and Karen is very thankful as well. Hey, uh, we're in the final week of our Heart Habits series, and, and we're exploring uh, spiritual practices to help you to guard your heart so that you can be, build a resilient faith in challenging times and also so that you can grow to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, which is the call on each and every one of our lives. Uh, let me ask you a question this morning. Well, actually, before I do that, uh, if you have a Bible handy, I'm going to get you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. You can put your thumb in there. We're going to be lingering there for, for much of our morning together. If you want notes, you want to follow along, the crosspointchurch.ca uh, slash notes um, so that you can follow along and track because there is going to be a lot of content this morning as we uh, go through things. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk to you about the discipline of rest, which is strange when you think about it. I mean, how can rest be a discipline? Well, let me ask you a question. How rested do you feel? Now, the irony is not lost to me. This is the first day in daylight savings time, so you're probably exhausted, okay? But, but, but generally, I mean, I mean, how rested do you feel? Are, are you a person who you'd say you're getting enough sleep? Are you the kind of person who, who's good at taking breaks? Uh, uh, do you need to get better at resting generally? You see, the thing about resting is resting actually doesn't come naturally. Sometimes, in order to rest, you have to work at it. You know, as, as Canadians, we're not very good at resting. Uh, the stats say that only one in seven adults, 14%, actually set aside one day a week for rest. And on that day of week, what do they do? They work, okay? Canada actually holds third place as the most, one of the most sleep-deprived countries in the world. We're behind the UK and Ireland, and we are tied with the United States of America. 31% of Canadians report that they are sleep-deprived. If rest came naturally, we would get better at it. This is why rest is a discipline. It actually takes effort. It actually takes practice to be a rested person. Now, as it turns out, the Bible actually has a lot to say about rest. Uh, and more often than not, the Bible says that rest is a good idea. In fact, the Bible teaches that rest is a God idea. It was God's idea from the beginning. After God created the heavens and the earth of six days of labor, what did he do on the seventh day? God rested. And this seventh day was given a name. It was called the Sabbath. And, and this morning, it's, it's this particular practice of rest that we're going to be exploring today. Sabbath rest. And we're going to explore two questions about the Sabbath today in our time together. Number one, what is Sabbath rest? And number two, is it actually for me? Now, I realize that, that Sabbath can be a, a confusing and even sometimes controversial topic uh, for followers of Jesus. 
As it turns out, though, it was also a point of tension, a point of contention, between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders, of course, were known the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They were the, the upper crust, the creme de la creme of a re religious leaders and opinion in Israel in that day. And, and you'll find that the Pharisees often came into conflict with Jesus. They often went toe-to-toe -to -toe about a number of issues. And one issue that they often conflicted about was this whole issue about the meaning and the purpose of Sabbath. So I'd like to look at one of these conflicts today in Mark chapter 2. And uh, I want to go through the passage together, and by way of going through that passage, I want to answer our first question. Here's the first question again. What is Sabbath rest? And at the end of it all, I hope that you'll be able to determine whether or not Sabbath rest is in fact for you. So what is Sabbath rest? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 2. We'll get right into the story starting at verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, one Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going to the grain field. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So Jesus and his disciples, they're out for a stroll. They're, they're cutting through a grain field. And as they're going along, they want a little bit of a snack. So they just kind of pluck some heads of grain and, and they're munching along as, as, as they go along. And in that day, this was a, actually a common practice. It was customary that that was okay, that you could stroll through other people's fields and you could help yourself to their grain. It was, it was pretty normal. But for some reason, the Pharisees got bent out of shape about this. The question is, why were they so upset. Well, you see, the, the Pharisees took the Sabbath very seriously, and this was because they actually took the law of Moses very seriously. Um, Sabbath keeping was written right into this covenant between God and Israel from, from times past, thousands of years. It's been going on. And it's important for us to understand just how serious this was. So to do that, let me just highlight two important aspects of the Sabbath from the law. First of all, Number one is keeping the Sabbath was a requirement of Israel for the people of God who were in covenant community with God. It was a requirement. Let me read from Exodus chapter 20 real quick. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You've heard this before. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath was a holy day. It was set apart. It was special. It was unique. It was a day unlike any other day. And the word Sabbath, is the Hebrew is Shabbat, which actually literally means to stop. So it was a day of stopping. And as you look through the text, you, you kind of get a picture of how extensive this stopping was. Nobody was to work. Not the servants, not the livestock, everybody stop. Everybody. If you have to take the wheel out of your hamster cage on the Sabbath, do it. He's got to stop. Everybody's stopping. But keeping the Sabbath was actually more than just a commandment. Keeping the Sabbath also was a sign or seal of the covenant. So let's look at Exodus 31, 16 to 17. The Israelites, it says, are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So, so keeping the Sabbath was more than just a commandment. It was actually how Israel reminded themselves of their covenant with God. In fact, none of the other Ten Commandments have this same honor. It was only this one specific commandment, obeying the Sabbath. 
So every time Israel practiced the Sabbath, every single week, you think about this rhythm, it was a reminder that God had rescued them and called them as his people, and it was also a reminder that God himself had rested on the seventh day. So this is why the Sabbath was such a really big deal for Israel, and it kind of under, helps you understand why the Pharisees were getting a little bit bent out of shape. But here's the question. Was picking a few kernels of grain technically work? I mean, think about it. I mean, it didn't take a lot of effort. They're just kind of walking along, grabbing some grain, popping it in their mouth. It's not like they're creating a three-course meal, right, for guests. So why was it that the Pharisees were so upset? Well, here's where things get a little bit sticky, okay? And you've got to peel back and understand a little bit about first century culture. See, the law wasn't actually very specific about what work was. I mean, there were a couple of examples that were spelled out in the law about what work was. One of them, there was an incident where somebody built a fire, and there was another incident where somebody was gathering wood on the Sabbath, and that was, you know, a bad idea for them. But for the most part, there's actually no specific definition in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law. There's no specific definition about what is work and what isn't work. So there's a little bit of haziness here. There's a little bit of fuzziness. There's just silence. So to fill this silence, the religious leaders of Israel says, okay, we've got we to gotta help people figure this out. We've got to come up with some definitions. What's work and what's not work? So in their traditions, they actually came up with 39 categories of work. Not 40, not 38, 39 categories of work. Plowing, for example, reaping, sowing, writing, all sorts of things are different categories of work. But then they discovered, as they, they kind of put this out there, that, you know what, this, this list isn't actually detailed enough. Because when you think about it, I mean, what is plowing and what is not plowing, technically? What is writing and what is not writing? I mean, is doodling writing? Is doodling not writing? Okay, what, what is writing and what is, what is not writing? So, for example, um, so as a result of this, let me just say, as a result of this, they said, okay, we've got to drill down deeper. We've got to get a little bit more detailed about this. So each of those 39 categories, they then broke down into these subcategories. And, and then it just became crazy, this whole list of rules of things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. So let me give you an example. You, you cannot drag a chair across room during the Sabbath because if you do that, the chair leg might make a rut in the dust, and that would be plowing. And plowing, of course, is work, and you don't work on the Sabbath. It's an example. A scribe could not carry his pen in his pocket because that was his form of work, okay? A beggar could not carry his mat. There's a story in the Bible about that, a beggar who wanted to carry his mat, and this was a real problem, right? Um, I've shared this story with you before, um, and this is, just kind of points out the ridiculousness of this, but a woman cannot look in the mirror on a Sabbath. If she looks in a mirror on a Sabbath, she might spot a gray hair, and she would be tempted to pluck that gray hair. And if she plucks that gray hair on the Sabbath, that would be reaping. And reaping is work, and you do not work on the Sabbath. I'm not making this up. Yeah, so, so you let's drill down deep on the rules here, okay? That's important, because the Sabbath is important. So according to the traditions, the disciples weren't just picking grain. They were reaping. And because they were reaping, they were working. And because they were working, they were violating the Sabbath. So... This explains and helps us understand a little bit about why the Pharisees were starting to get a little bit bent out of shape. Now, it's important to point out, the disciples technically were not breaking the law. They were breaking the traditions of their elders, the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, let's read on. Verse 25, And he, Jesus, said to them, 
Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in, in the time of Aviathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so Jesus responds by, by, by pointing to one of Israel's like heroes, right? The heroes of faith, David, King David. I mean, who can argue with King David? David, the hero, he says he's, he's kind of setting it a little bit of a precedent. David showed that sometimes exceptions can be made to the law when there's a higher principle that's at work. See, at that time, David was in great need. He was running for his life, and he was starving. He was with his disciples. He was running from King Saul. King Saul wanted to kill him. They're journeying across country. They've got to find food, Right? And so he went to Ahimelech for food, and the, and the law says, of course, that only the priests are allowed to eat that special food. It's priest's food. It's nobody else's food. But they still gave it to David, and even when David and his friends ate it, they broke the law out of great need. God did not condemn him for it. See, the, the Pharisees' problem was that they were so focused on the letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law. And Jesus was taking some time here to spell out for them the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was saying, you know what, there's actually a higher purpose. There's a higher principle that's behind the Sabbath. God, God isn't like some union boss who's, who's like enforcing a strict set of rules. You know, you get three breaks a day, every two hours, only 15 minutes, no more, no less. If your, body, if your, body, your boss tries to tell you, you know, you got to work 16 minutes, tell him to stick it, okay? That's, that's the union boss mentality. That's not what Jesus is going after here. That's not the spirit behind the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath, you'll remember, as a loving, good gift for his people. The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So I want you to imagine, I mean, you're, you're, you're downtown on Jasper, and you're standing there in the middle of the street, and you see an old lady on the corner, she's walking across the street, and she stumbles and she falls. The traffic light turns, cars are suddenly rushing at her, and you decide to yourself, what am I going to do? Because if I'm going to go help this lady, I'm going to break the law. You said, enough with the law, you book it, you get into the middle of the street, you're stopping cars, you're helping her up, you help her across the street. Meanwhile, a traffic cop pulls up, and he gives you a ticket for jaywalking. Now, what is the law? What is the jaywalking law? Right? Don't cross the street in the middle of traffic. Right? Why does the law exist? For human safety. So you may have broken the letter of the law, but you have not violated the spirit of the law. And any, and any judge worth his salt is going to obviously throw that out of court. Right? If the Pharisees read the law more closely, they would have discovered the spirit of the law. They would have seen that the Sabbath was actually a day of blessing and refreshment. Let me give you some examples from the law. First of all, Sabbath was a day of blessing. Genesis 2.3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God blessed the seventh day. It was a good day, a special day, a, a day of God's favor, a day like any other day, and it's for us. Not simply as a ruthless, rule-keeping day we do in fear of punishment, but it's a day of blessing. But not only that, Sabbath was a day of refreshment. Exodus twenty-three twelve. 
Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman uh, and the alien may be refreshed. You know, you know, God cared enough for his people that he gave them a day off so that they could rest and be refreshed. That was way different than the way they had it in Egypt. Pharaoh worked them seven days a week, around the clock, to the bone, to death even. But God was a very different type of master. He was not a ruthless taskmaster. God gave them the Sabbath so that they could rest from their labor. And this is the spirit of the Sabbath. But the Pharisees missed it because they were so preoccupied. They had their face so close to the paper. They were so preoccupied with their traditions. Okay, so, so Jesus had one final point to make in his showdown with the Pharisees. And, and it's actually found in verse 28. It's just one verse. And it's actually the most critical part of his argument. It's kind of like a mic drop moment in what he had to say. He finishes it off in verse 28 saying this. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So, so David, sure, he was able to bend the law in a time of great need. But Jesus was greater than David. Jesus was the Son of Man. Now what does that term mean, Son of Man? Well, well Jesus often used this term to refer to himself. Um, he would often call himself the Son of Man. And its meaning is actually kind of obscure. And I think that's precisely the way that Jesus wanted it. He wanted it to remain somewhat obscure. Because on the one hand, it just simply meant human being, the Son of Man. But on the other hand, it was a little bit of a wink and a nod to Daniel chapter 7. And you can look that up later and read about it. But in Daniel chapter 7, the, the, the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient Days gives him authority over all things and allows him to establish the kingdom of God. Okay? So it's a wink and a nod to Jesus' Messiahship, the fact that he is, in fact, the Messiah. But he's keeping it obscure at this point. So, so David could bend the rules, but the Son of Man can make the rules. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and what, as we know the story, you know, we, we're, we have hindsight, the benefit of hindsight. As we look back on the story, we know that Jesus ultimately demonstrated this through his death and resurrection that Jesus would fulfill the law of Moses through his life and through his death. He lived the perfect life of obedience under the law, so he fulfilled the law, but then he also died to pay for our sin debt under the law. So Jesus completely fulfilled the law. He, he completed and, and finalized the old covenant, and then he ushered in an entire new covenant, and we, the people of God, get invited to live in this new humanity under a new covenant under Jesus. And all of this is possible because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is, in fact, the resurrected Lord of the Sabbath who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He gets to make the rules. So here's the question. Is the Sabbath for me? And is the Sabbath for you? See, if Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses, why should we keep practicing the Sabbath, right? Do we still need to, you know, follow the Sabbath now that we're under the new covenant as opposed to under the old covenant? This is actually an important question. And this is actually a, the question of tension within Christian circles. I'd like to suggest this morning that the answer to the question is yes and no. <laughs> and let me give you two reasons. So first of all, the New Testament is pretty clear that believers in Christ are free from observing special religious days, including the Sabbath. 
So whether, whether they're the sacred rhythms within the nation of Israel or whether the Sabbath day within the nation of Israel, because Jesus fulfilled the law and completed the law, we are no longer obligated to, um, to follow those days. And, I, you know, I put some scripture references in your notes this morning. I encourage you to look them up later. We don't have a lot of time to go into them this morning. But they're there. So look into them. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But second, what we also find in the, in the Bible is that the early church began to replace Saturday with Sunday as the day of worship. And the reason why they did this is, is because Jesus was resurrected on the, Sabbath, on, on, the, sorry, on the Sunday, which was the first day of the week, as opposed to Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week. And so as the, as the church grew and it became increasingly Gentile and less Jewish, the, the practice of, of gathering together in worship changed from a Saturday to a Sunday. And this is why today we worship together on a Sunday. It's, it's the reality of those who live in a new covenant. Uh, you can even read about it in the book of Revelation. It's called the Lord's Day. Okay, that's because Jesus was resurrected on the Sunday. So, so because of this, today, we, we believe as followers of Jesus that we're no longer obligated to keep the Sabbath on the seventh day. But this doesn't mean that the principle or the spirit of Sabbath rest has gone away. And this is where I say no, or I guess where I say yes. So keep this in mind. The Sabbath existed long before the law. The, the need for rest is actually woven into the very fabric of creation itself. It was a rhythm of creation that was existed since the beginning of time. So, so this gift of taking one day off in seven is still for us. That that is still needed and it's still for us. So let me just highlight some undeniable takeaways this morning. Number one, you were made for rest. Rest is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. God designed you this way. This is how you are wired. Rest is not something you should feel bad about. It's not something you should feel guilty about. God still wants to bless and refresh your life by giving you the gift of rest. Number two, find rest or rest will find you. There is a cost to not resting because your body and soul were designed that they need rest. I mean, athletes know this. Athletes know that the body heals and grows when it is resting, not when it is exercising. When you are working, you are stressing and you are tearing muscle fibers. But when you are resting, your body is healing and restoring and building on those muscle fibers and replacing them with stronger ones. You don't get stronger by training. You get stronger by training and then resting. You know, athletes who don't rest enough will experience a phenomenon called overtraining. And I know this from personal experience. Your, your body starts to break down because you have not learned to lay down. You know, orthopedic surgeons about a decade ago began to notice that the number of surgeries for teenage athletes had increased fivefold. What was the cause? A lack of rest. Because when that, what happens is student athletes are no longer taking breaks throughout the year. They used to have this thing called an off-season. A lot of athletes don't take an off-season, so they play the same sport again and again and again all year long without resting their bodies. And when that happens, their bodies don't recover from the stress and micro-injuries that result from constant play. And that's why they, ha they, they, they have all these breakdowns and these need for surgeries. The body tears and grows when it is resting, uh, heals and grows when it's resting, not when it's working. Now, the same principle can be said for you. It can be said for your mind. It can be said for your spirit. Studies show that a lack of sleep will affect your heart health. It will. It will affect your mental acuity. It will. 
it will affect your weight. It will. If you're not sleeping, you will need the energy some other way, and you will get it through food. So if you are not resting, it affects every aspect of your life. If you do not rest, rest will find you. If you do not lay down, you may break down or you may have a meltdown. Number three, to find rest, you need a plan for rest. And this is where we can turn to the life and the history of Israel and we can learn so much from them. They were not an unproductive people. They are a very productive people. They worked hard, but they also rested effectively. Not only did they practice Sabbath, they also had scheduled rhythms that followed all of the seasons of the year, rhythms of festivals, rhythms of downtime, rhythms of, of celebration. If you are going to find rest, you also need a plan for rest. You need a strategy. You need a schedule. And I think the starting point for every one of us, I'm not a doctor, but if I could give you a prescription, I think a starting point for you is to learn to take one day off in the seventh to embrace the gift of Sabbath. Take a day, any day, and put it in your schedule. And I know, you know, you've got different schedules. You've got different family schedules. You've got different work schedules. I don't know what it is. But find a way. For me, I, I do it on Monday. You will have great difficulty trying to get a hold of me on Monday. It starts Sunday night. It continues to Monday night. That's my Sabbath. Because I'm working today, all right? So this is not my Sabbath. But tomorrow is. But I do it religiously. And, and, and I do it sometimes in a very mean way because I'm protecting it. Uh, because I've learned after almost two or three opportunities to, to burn out in ministry that I need it. I need to rest. And I need the discipline of rest, the rigorous discipline. So Monday's my sacred day. I don't know what yours would be. Now you might ask the question this morning, okay, well, I, I, I want to take a Sabbath. I kind of do take a Sabbath. Um, what do I do on a Sabbath? I mean, do I just sit in silence in a dark room all day? You know, just play with a Rubik's Cube or something? I don't know. Let, let, me, let me suggest for you this morning a few ways to have a great Sabbath day. Number one, take time to stop. Stop working. And I don't just mean your day job that you do for your boss or for your company. I mean stop working around the house. Stop working around the yard. Sabbath shouldn't be a time to get caught up on all those other chores. Those are still domestic duties, domestic work. If something looks like, feels like, smells like, tastes like work, stop. Stop it. I like Mark Buchanan's definition of work in his book, The Rest of God. You can read the book. Awesome. The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. He says that work is what we have to do. We've all got a lot of have-to-dos in our lives. These things we're obligated to do. He said, but Sabbath is a day where we do what we get, what we get to do. So it's, it's a day of, of doing the things that really are life-giving, that we really enjoy. And I, and I think this helps us to understand the spirit of Sabbath-keeping. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Number two, take time to refresh. I mean, if Sabbath is to be a day of refreshment, a good question is, when you're about to do something, is this going to refresh me today? Or is this going to suck the life out of me? You see, some, some workish tasks, actually, you know, some tasks that kind of look like work, I actually find very life-giving. Like going for a run. I love that. I just enjoy that. Cooking. I just love to cook. Give me some raw ingredients in a kitchen for two hours, and I'll have the best day ever. 
a long bike ride, reading. I, I can do these things on the Sabbath and feel totally refreshed, even though they do require a little bit of effort. Because the day is for refreshment. Now, shopping, on the other hand, shopping does not refresh me. I would rather stab knitting needles into my eyes than go shopping in a mall on my Sabbath. I would rather take a pair of pliers and break off my two front teeth than go shopping on the Sabbath. Strong words, I know. Now, now sometimes puttering around the yard, doing renovations around the house, those can be life-giving to me. But if there's a moment during the day where it's like, Okay, I'm starting to feel this is like work. I just drop everything. This is the liberating thing about Sabbath. I just drop it. Leave that drywall trowel on the wall and let it dry. I don't care. Walk away and take a break because I'm supposed to be resting and being refreshed on the Sabbath. What refreshes you? What refreshes you? Third, it's take time to connect. You know, it would seem strange to spend Sabbath without connecting to the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is an opportunity to spend some extended, extended time with the great gift giver of the Sabbath. Last week I talked about solitude. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Remember, the word Sabbath means to stop. So it's important to take that time to be still on the Sabbath and to focus our attention on God. And finally, take time to be vulnerable. I want you to think about this this morning. At what point in your life are you the most vulnerable? It's while you're sleeping. I mean, people could do anything to you while you're sleeping. Think about that before you go to bed tonight. They draw a mustache on your face, put an earwig in your ear. They could do anything to you. You're very vulnerable when you're sleeping. One of the reasons that often keeps us from Sabbath is because we somehow believe that the world will fall apart if we are not doing something. We want control. We want to be masters of the universe. We want to fix everything. So the idea of subconsciously being vulnerable and giving that over terrifies us because we, we, we then would have to give up like our godlike preoccupation with control. And this is one of the very reasons why God gives us the gift of the Sabbath. Because when we participate in Sabbath, we stop playing God. When we Sabbath, we say to God, God, I am going to take this day off and I am going to trust you to be working while I rest. Sabbath is a day where we are vulnerable before God. So let me read a promise to God's people found in Psalm 121, verse 3 to 4. I read it over you this morning. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The promise is that God watches over his people. While we are resting, he is still working. So sit down, rest, go to bed, take a nap. Kittens will not explode if you take a break. You can trust God. He's got this. You can trust him. So go take a rest. And of course, there's so many other ways that we can embrace the gift of rest. Getting to bed on time, getting a good night's sleep is very important. Take breaks during the day, right? You don't have to run through the entire day without a break. Going for extended times of rest, it's called a vacation. It might be new to some of you, okay? But there are lots of different ways that we can rest. But to find rest, you need a plan for rest. What is your plan? 
Now, I, of course, I, I realize today that I'm presenting to you an ideal, okay? Uh, I realize that the plan is going to look different if you're single or if you're married or if you have children or depending on the age of your children. Maybe for some of you, you, you just need baby steps and just start with half days and finding half days to take a break. You know, when we were, our kids were really, really young, it was easier for us. We invited them into Sabbath, and we embraced Sabbath together as a family. But then they got older, and there were extracurricular activities, and we were running all over the place. And so we had to figure this out as a family. How does Karen take Sabbath? How do I take Sabbath? Karen and I have different work schedules. She works on Mondays. I take Mondays off. So, so sometimes that doesn't always work. But sometimes she gets a Monday off, we could Sabbath together. But we still figure it out. We still have to come up with a plan. If your life is complicated, that's great. You still have to come up with a plan. What is your plan for Sabbath, for rest? Robert Murray McShane was a 19th century minister, and, and he was powerfully used by God in the 19th century. He was a formidable preacher. He was a great mind. He was a poet, and he was mostly known for his passionate pursuit of God. He graduated from Edinburgh University at the age of 14. By the age of 23, he was leading a church. This is in the, eight, you know, the 19th century. 23, he was leading a Presbyterian congregation of over 1,000 people. McShane often wondered if he was making the best use of his time, and so he made every hour, every moment of his day count. I mean, he was an unstoppable force. He was a phenom. And at the age of 30, he burned himself out. His health deteriorated, and he died. And as he lay there dying, he said these words to his friends, and they are often quoted. Here's what he said. He said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse, and now I cannot deliver the message. Find rest, or rest will find you. To find rest, you need a plan for rest. And God, in his great grace, has given you this generous gift so open it. Find rest. Look for a way to do it. And if you need help, ask somebody. Ask somebody to carry your load so that you can find rest. I'm sure they would love to help you. Find rest. Our gracious God has given it to each of us. The question this morning is, will you take it? Because it's for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you care about your people, that you've given us this opportunity to rest. Thank you through, through Christ Jesus we can enter into rest, that it's not an obligation, but it's an opportunity, God, for us to be refreshed and to be restored in your presence by stopping. God, show us what that looks like for us, how we might put, to, put this discipline of rest into practice. That way you be restored and refreshed. God, thank you for your grace towards us and your goodness. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, 
thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.